Okay, <laughs> no, that's all right. Okay. Uh, Daniel, I do have the question though, where did you get your ideas about rebirth? Um, my ideas about rebirth um, yeah, is what initially got me interested in Buddhism. Um, because, yeah, I saw the description of the four path model and that if you become an Arhat, that you uh, end the cycle of birth and rebirth. And that seemed to me like a very comforting idea because, um, yeah, well, I had why a Why don't you do that right now? That's the whole point of it. You see, you missed the point. Ending the birth of rebirth, if you become an Arahant, that means right now you are not going to get reborn into any of your trash. Yeah, but... What uh, does that then have to do with reincarnation kind of rebirth that you're believing in? Yeah, yeah, so as I understand it from the interviews that I've watched from you is that you, there's two types of rebirth. There's one on the, the macro level that uh, people think about as in reincarnation and also on the on the mental level. And I believe and that's what I wanted to discuss with you uh, is that you believe or experience that rebirth is only on the mental level in the in the form of dependent origination and not on the macro level in terms of reincarnation. I've never so, heard that macro level kind of uh, verbiage before, but one of the things you can count on it is, is that people want to believe in reincarnation and that kind of rebirth. And they want to do it because they've got a reason for it. And that reason is, is that they're afraid to die. And so there's a kind of promise that you don't have to actually die, that you can continue on clinging to life without actually experiencing it. Yeah, for me, it's the other way around. I'm actually not afraid to die, but I'm afraid of rebirth because I don't want to experience. Well, don't do it then. Yeah. Stop doing it right now. Yeah. That's actually the injunction that's given in Sutra number 20. A lot of the rebirthers, and I call them that as a joke, <laughs> a lot of rebirthers will quote that sutta as proof that the Buddha taught rebirth. But the last line of it is, therefore do not be reborn. As if you've got a choice about it. Well, if you're dead, how do you have a choice about being reborn again? You lost the choice after you're dead. So the rebirth has to be done as a choice while you're still alive. Okay, so you're you're saying that I have a choice to rebirth or not? And yes, you and make that choice on a regular basis, and you choose yeah. to be reborn into dukkha, reborn into suffering, reborn into the four woeful states of being angry, agitated, worried, upset, or you're being reborn as a preta, wanting things that you don't have, or you're reborn as uh, a dumb animal, which is basically the Buddha's talking about trapped animals, rather than uh, birds and uh, bees and uh, insects. No, the trapped animals, the horses, the cows, sometimes elephants are put to work. They don't like it, but they do the work anyway. Yeah. Okay. That's what we call business in English language. Yeah. Doing what you were told to do without getting the reward of doing it. Yeah. That's being reborn in a, in a woeful state of doing things that you've got to do and you don't want to do them, but you've got to do it anyway. Yeah. And then the fourth one, the Asuras, is being reborn as a warrior that's afraid to go to battle. So that's the fear. Yeah. And you're but, reborn in all four of those states on a regular basis. And you do it by choice. Ignorant choice. 
uh, when you talk about these rebirths, um, for me, it's very hard to understand because um, from which level you are talking. Are you talking in the sense of a mental uh, rebirth only in this life? Or are what, you talking? What other would you think of? Because you don't know what the distant future is, that in fact you've already probably understood uh, that the Buddha was big on being in the present moment, right here, yeah. right now. He even had the name Tathagatha, which has the word Tathatha in it. And the word Tathatha means this is it, thusness, here now, this present moment. All of that kind of stuff was what the Buddha was really big on. Yeah. He wasn't big on old memories, five years old, ten years old. So what makes you think he's going to be interested in teaching about 500-year-old memories, which you don't have? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I also read the, the suttas, uh, especially today I was, uh, I was reading a commentary by uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu. Okay, don't read commentaries, read suttas. Oh, yeah, so the, the actual suttas... Uh, he shows in the commentary as well, so you, I can read them for myself. And in the suttas, um, yeah, Buddha also speaks of that after the, the breaking up of the body, so after death, that there is also rebirth. And it seems to me he's talking... Where did not you find that? I'd like to hear the reference. Okay, uh, I can send it to you later. I'm not sure if I can get it really quickly now. Okay. But it's from the website Access to Insight. It may be very much the possibility of a bad translation. Because that's but, the biggest problem with Western Buddhism, is, is that the Westerners who have done the translations wanted to know what the suttas meant. That's why they translated them. Yeah, they didn't know what the sutta meant when they did translate it. So yeah. my example of that is imagine that the CIA during the uh, World War II were able to uh, to steal secret documents, let us say on nuclear from the Germans. Yeah, is the CIA going to take those uh, documents, uh, uh, high uh, quality physics, all of that kind of stuff? Are they going to take that to a high school German class? To translate? No. No. Oh, yeah. No. They're going to take it to a nuclear physicist who knows both German and English. Yeah. Okay. We don't have any translations of the suttas that have all three components. No. Okay. Everybody who does the translation at best, they know one of the three, and that is their own native language, but they don't know Pali. Yeah. As as uh, as if they were fluent in the language, only a few monks in Thailand are, are fluent in Pali, but Westerners not a chance. Yeah. And then the number three, which is the big one, is, is that all of those people who did all of those translations didn't know what they were translating, and so they translated it with their confirmation bias built in. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, and so that's the problem with the suttas, and most of the words that are really, really important words are often wrongly translated. Yeah. Like dukkha, for instance, is translated as suffering, and dukkha doesn't mean suffering at all. What it means is dissatisfaction, and you're dissatisfied on a regular basis. Yes. Okay, and when you're dissatisfied, yeah. that means that you're born into one of those woeful states of dissatisfaction. Yes. Due to one of the four modes of clinging. Right, and that happens on a regular basis. What makes you think that you could do something now that's going to stop something 500 years from now that you can't stop right now? Well... I believe I do believe that I can stop it in this life, uh, and well, then let's do that. 
It's not worry about a distant future you've got no control over. Yes. Even yeah. On the, on the believe that stuff, say that you don't have any control over it then, that, that uh, uh, because it's all comma based. The comma of this life is going to set up the next life. And that's what they commonly believe. So they go do pujas and they go do um, uh, saibat making merit in order to give them a better chance next time. And they miss this time altogether. Yeah. And they're dead with no hope because of no knowledge of what happens after one dies. All you've heard is stories. So then my question would be like, if there is no rebirth, um, then yeah, of course it would be better to uh, experience this life in an enlightened state. Right. Well, you but, said in your thing that you why not just make merry until you yeah. die, and you can't do that yet because you're still dissatisfied. And and making merry means that you're merry and satisfied all the time. What are you going to do to get into that state? Yeah. Well, okay. Let's say I, I do agree that of course it's better to experience this life in, in a good state, uh, but. For me, the main motivation has always been that I guess the promise, and I wanted to see that for myself, that I would not be uh, have to experience this uh, samsara after this life again. Okay, well, and, that's what's going to happen then? You're going to be continuously unsatisfied, continuously so until you die, and then you have no ch no possibility of doing anything after that because you're dead. Yes, and on the one hand, and all that's going to uh, be there is a common machine that's going to dig you up out of the grave 300 years from now just to kick your ass again. But, but if you're saying that, then you're kind of saying that there's actual rebirth if the karma machine uh, digs you up. No, I'm saying two things. Okay, number one. I don't know, and you don't either. And number two, it's irrelevant. And it doesn't matter because it's got no effect on you today unless you believe in it. And if you believe in it, then it will stop your belief about the future. It will prevent you from being able to right here, right now. Yeah, phone is quite noisy. Yeah, if you talk, it will stop the noise. Uh, this must be better. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, okay. I wonder then, what was the motivation for you to pursue this path? Like, if you would know that maybe you will be practicing for forty years and not well, reach enlightenment. Here's the point. The answer that we can take right quickly, and that is, is that so far you have not seen Dukkha. You have not seen your disappointment. And because of it, you're trying to avoid future disappointment. Instead of avoiding the disappointments that you have right here, right now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You can't see the disappointments that you're having right here, right now. You're not looking closely enough to see what's going on. And so here you are off about way off into the future that you have no clue about. No one knows the future. That's true. The only thing that we know is, is that everything is temporary. Nothing lasts. Even awakening. Well, when you're dead, how awake are you? Uh, yeah, I, I heard one of your interviews and in there you said that uh, you compared it to weeding a garden. That um, at, at first, or, or shaving a beard, at first you have to shave a lot. And then after that, you still need to keep shaving because it's impermanent. So I'm wondering then, 
since uh, enlightenment is often present. was impermanent. Yes. And so was the beard. Dead people don't grow beards. Yeah. Not for long. Not for long, no. <laughs> but, yeah, like uh, the insights, um, enlightenment is often presented as a permanent um, yeah, insight or... By whom? Uh, Chula Dasa, uh, for one. Okay. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we can do with Chula Dasa right now is let him be impermanent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and among Chula Dasa, well, that's the general idea that I got. And of course, yeah, for me, like, reading the suttas, even the language is very complicated and I'm not sure about the translations. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the thing that got me very interested is uh, to call you is, can you tell me more about what Buddha Dasa taught about uh, rebirth? He taught and two things about it. Number one, you don't know. And number two, it's irrelevant. Okay, let me go back and explain this in a, in a way. There are always six ways to answer a yes or no question. And right now you're in the throes of, yes, it's don't, uh, yes, there is reincarnation. We'll use the word reincarnation just to make sure that we're not confusing what the word rebirth is. You're saying, yes, there is reincarnation, and you think I'm saying, no, there is not. Those are two possibilities. Let's go with the third possibility, and that is both. After death, there is both reincarnation and not reincarnation. The next possibility is neither one. There is no reincarnation and there is no non-reincarnation. The fifth answer is, is that I don't know. That's the obvious answer. And then the sixth one is, I don't know because it doesn't matter. What evidence do we have? If there's absolutely no evidence of something existing or not, then it doesn't matter whether it exists or not. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um. And you still don't know. That's the first thing that you have to accept is, is that you don't know. And right now you still have the confirmation bias. You want it to be true. Come back to a neutral position and realize that you don't know and it really doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, I find I find that that part uh, kind of hard to accept because right. then I'm okay. here's, fearful. Here's the yeah. point then that you're you're clinging probably to the concept of good action gives good results and bad action gives bad results. This is ordinary view, ordinary right view as opposed to ordinary wrong view is, is that no, it doesn't, I can get away with it. Now, every human, mostly, few rare exceptions within the dominance, but most people, let's call them Pudajana, ordinary people, they don't know the difference. They don't know. And so they will cling to the one that they like. And whichever one that you like, that's the belief system that we build up. The Buddha didn't teach about belief system. He taught only one thing, and that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Now, the, um, uh, the interesting thing is, is that he said that in Sutta number 22, the simile of the snake in the Majjhima Nikaya, where he was accused of teaching that upon the breakup of the body, the existing being is annihilated. He 
doesn't teach that. He doesn't teach annihilationism. But he was never accused of teaching eternalism. Why? Because all of the ones who were accusing him of teaching annihilationism were already eternalists themselves, mostly. And eternalism, uh, can you help me? What is this precisely again? Well, let us use eternalism versus semi-eternalism. Okay, eternalism means it's going to happen again and again and again and again and again and again into infinity. No such thing as infinity, in fact. Everything comes to an end, maybe trillions of years from now, but that probably is just the end of a part of a cycle, and then things start another trillions of years and come back to the beginning again. And so we don't know any of that stuff, and guess what? It's irrelevant. Okay. So, um, given that everything is temporary, there is no real such thing as true eternalism. And the way that they normally thinking is, and your thinking is, is that, oh, I will be eternal until something happens, and then my eternalism will stop. Like, finally, after 500 verses from now, you'll get... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm losing the audio here for uh, about 10 seconds. Okay. Finally, uh, after... I so the... You, the semi-eternalism means that after a long, long time, many hundreds, maybe thousands of rebirths, finally you become enlightened, and then you don't have any more rebirths. That's what semi-eternalism is. That's what normal, ordinary, low-class Buddhists believe, is in semi-eternalism. Buddha did not teach semi-eternalism. Was a nihilism. Now there's the other one, which is nihilism, and nihilism or nihilism means basically that there is no comma machine, there is no comma as long term, and therefore, if I can get away with it right now, I can get away with it. Okay, I can go and do and hurt all I want to, and nobody's going to do anything about it. Example this sheep there is the guy who kills 500 cows on this side of the river. Then he goes to the other side of the river and kills 500 more cows. The word 500, by the way, in college just means a very large number of some cows. Yeah. And get away with it. Well, guess what? The 500 cows, after he kills one cow, he's going to have to start dealing with farmers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. a cow in, in India. I don't think he's going to make it to the other side of the river. I don't think he's going to find 500 cows that he can actually kill. Yeah. All right. So he doesn't get away with it. But that's the idea that, oh, I can get away with it because there's no comma machine. Well, the Buddha didn't teach that there is no comma. He taught cause and effect in the sense of dukkha. And Dukkha there are causes. That's what the word paticca samupada means. It means that things happen because they are dependently happening. So, eternalism, semi-eternalism, nihilism, and um, uh, annihilationism is not what the Buddha taught. That upon the break of the body, the body of uh, the, the soul of the spirit is annihilated. This is basically what we would in the West call uh, atheism, which is another way of getting away with it. Yeah. Okay. So, the Buddha didn't teach any of those four things. What he taught was temporaryism. He taught anicca, anicca anatta. Right. And what is anatta? is not no self, it means no permanent entity. But whatever you are is a moving target. Yeah. Okay, you're moving. Whatever you are now, you are not. In fact, right now, you're not the same person that wrote the email. Yeah. 
All right, you have yeah. been reborn. They're not the same. That's what the word reborn means, not in the sense of taking a new body. The Buddha did not and was not ever accused even of teaching either eternalism or semi-eternalism, nor was he accused of teaching nihilism, but he was accused of teaching uh, annihilationism. Now, what's the difference between annihilationism is, is that the, the, the self exists as long as the body exists, but in fact, you're not the same person as you were when you were three years old. Not at all the same. Nothing about you is the same. Except the habits that you picked up when you were three years old and continued to repeat. But even those are temporary. Yeah. That's what the real teaching of the Buddha is. That's what we're actually harping on about with personality view. And the real question of personality view burns all around to the point of, can you, whatever you are, make changes so that you're not what you used to be and have new choices about what you're going to be each moment? Uh, and that's in the context of re relieving of suffering, of making that choice. Right, you have a choice about yeah. whether you're going to suffer right now or what. Yeah. And you're, you're suffering only because you picked up the habit of suffering. That every yeah. child that's born to a human woman starts off ignorant and having the life position of being dependent, being a victim. If the baby is not nurtured, he will die. And so we require that nurturing. But by the time the kid is six, very little nurturing and a whole bunch of rules are coming along. Do your homework, pick up your clothes, do what you're told to do, stand in line, go to school. 10,000 students come in and the little kid consents also both the cost of the company. And now he is being criticized. Yeah. So we pick up the habit of being critical of ourselves while maintaining the position of being a victim of the criticism. So we go up and criticize ourselves and then being the victim of our own criticism. Eric Burns calls this the parent child ego. The parent and the child ego. The parent the parent and the child ego states. Yeah. Sigmund Freud called the parent the superego, the rules, the way things are supposed to be, the criticism, and the id he called the child. Now, uh, I'm not really all of that great on uh, neurophysiology but we do know enough to know that the reptilian brain, the part of the, that's in the back, the anterior cortex, is very much original. Dogs have it, wolves have it, all of the uh, primates have it. We've all got it, but they call it the reptilian brain because so do the snakes and the alligators. Sorry, I, I lost the audio here for uh, uh, five seconds again. Okay, that we all were born with a major part of our being as alligator. And many people yeah. still act like alligators, which means that they operate according to their instincts and they're operating according to a few rules that they picked up. So whatever they like or don't like is how they live their lives a life full of confirmation bias, okay? Which then means that they're easy to manipulate through propaganda, through the news, through advertisements. Those people are easy to manipulate because they like and not like things. So it's easy to put them to work. Yeah. They tell, they tell them to be afraid. If you don't work, you don't eat. Right, so everybody goes out and works and does that uh, dumb animal thing, doing what they're told <laughs> to do. 
Yeah. Okay. So we have an instinctual system, and that instinctual system is also the child in us, which we would also call the feeling, because we are feeling driven. We are operating not out of wisdom, but out of raw animal emotion. And on top of that is a whole bunch of complicated rules about how that raw animal emotion should operate. That would be the mid-cortex, the temporal lobe, that part of the brain, the mammalian brain. But humans have something that those other animals don't have, and that is the frontal cortex. But we can see what's going on, put things together, and see the facts. And many engineers could do that with the engineering, but they've got so much confirmation bias about religion that they wind up being dumb animals. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the example is the scientist who's a scientist six days a week, but on Sunday he's a, he's a Christian. Yeah. Right? That's the confirmation bias. Why? Because he wants the things that Christianity promises. And he's also afraid of doing the things that Christianity tell him we're going to punish you and hurt you if you do those things. And so there's those rules in. Okay. So what the rules are that the Buddha talks about uh, in the Pali is seal Paramasa, that we are rule bound and we criticize ourselves and then we feel bad because we don't match up to the rules that we've made for ourselves. And there's no wisdom in there anyway, not bringing the frontal cortex in play. If we play, if we bring the frontal cortex in, it can see what's going on right here, right now. And all of those old members that we've installed in the cerebellum, which is behind the reptilian uh, brain, are the stored in language in the form of the uh, mammalian brain. But the best part of the human being, the frontal cortex, is always seeing what's going on, a realization of what you would call insights. Yeah. See things clearly. Only when we're free from the confirmation bias. When we have confirmation bias, the confirmation bias is going to win and then we don't even have to turn on our own personal giant supercomputer because it uses a whole lot of power. So that's that's the reason why we live on the autopilot, as you say. Right. Yeah. We live our lives on autopilot, which is instincts, with a few rules. Yeah. The autopilot is in an airplane, uh, uh, in a superliner. The um, the autopilot is the thing itself that controls the uh, 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 the aircraft with the yaw and, and all of the wing and all of that kind of stuff and the power. And then the rules would be the heading and the destination and the uh, all of that kind of information, right? Which if you leave a, uh, uh, an airplane on automatic pilot, it's going to crash. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to crash. <laughs> crash into the side of a mountain. When yeah. the pilot was there, he could lift it up and get out of the way of the mountain because he's watching what's going on, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the problem with automatic pilot is, is that it's set for a particular course over the long term, but a Nietzsche comes in, new things happen, and we wind up crash landing into our own personal hell, into our own personal animal world, into our own personal fears, or into our own personal desires. That's where we crash land. Why? Because we're not looking at where we're going and what we're doing. We're looking at how we feel. Yes. Uh. Okay. So that's the being reborn. Being reborn in an unhappy state. That's the dukkha. Yeah, so you're saying that it's mental dependent origination then? Pardon? Uh, that it's mental dependent origination. So that's purely the mental processes that cause the dukkha. 
and then it's all contained I'm within that. away with using the word mental there, though I wouldn't use it that way because it's much more complicated than the word mental. Then in fact, uh, the word sita does not mean the frontal cortex or the chitta is referring to the anterior cortex. That's what needs to be trained. And how yes. we train that is by dropping all of the rules. Start looking at what's going on now and start training in a new way. Yes. Yeah, and, and that makes like a lot of sense to me that uh, that we can train our brain, our consciousness. Yeah, in, in this way you describe. But um, I always heard, I, I hear people saying that, that enlightenment is the ultimate uh, freedom from suffering. People uh, talk of it like that don't have it. Yeah. Would you say that anything about the path has been disappointing about you, or are you completely fulfilled? Pardon? Uh, would you say that there is anything um, anything uh, well I, I would say like unsatisfactory but of course for you well i don't know your attainments or if you even want to talk about those but for let's say for an enlightened person for buddha do you think there was anything imperfect about the path for him the buddha did not teach perfection to get your yeah. last thing Number two, it, in Thailand for sure, but all over the place, this should be the case, is that you don't ask rude questions. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I didn't want, want to ask, but... Uh... Well, I'm not uh, offended, but I do want to tell you that some people will be. Yeah. Or you'll just give them an opportunity to lie. Yeah. The next thing is, is that it does not matter who you ask that question to or their answer because you'll believe what you want to believe anyway. True. Without doing a thorough investigation. Yeah. Okay. So the question yeah. is, so the, the answer to the question is, you don't know and it, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard for me. <laughs> Sorry. And say in this case it's rude. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, certainly not my intention to be rude, but uh, yeah, I, I, know, I will be. That's uh, the Western mind. <laughs> when and yeah. uh, uh, the Thai people would never ask that of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, but occasionally a rude of Westerner would, and his answer <laughs> would be. Who or what is it that can be enlightened? Now, he was making a basic assumption there that we need to go tear into, and that is, what the hell is enlightenment? Because you don't even know. All you have is confirmation bias. You don't have any factual information. Yeah. It's all mental magic to you. Yeah, it's true. Like, uh, I've made uh, a wager, let's say, on what the best course of action for me is to to yeah reach the end of my suffering. And based on that, do I make right assumptions. Now. Yeah. Yeah, do it right now. Yeah. Again, make sure that you hear it. Do it right now. Make a change yeah. to what you're doing and do it right now. Because if you can't do it now, what possibility is that there you, you do it later when you're not even thinking about it? Right now you're thinking about it. Do it now. Yeah. That's the best way yeah. of becoming enlightened is do it right bloody now. Okay, so let's yeah. define what enlightenment is so that you can understand what we're talking about here. The word enlightenment, first off, doesn't exist anywhere in the suttas. 
There are some words that are in the sutras that they twist into the word enlightenment. In fact, the word enlightenment is much more the Hindu word than it is a Buddhist word anyway. And so, we um, can tear the word down a bit because there's two kinds of light. In light, light is the primary word, enlightenment. Okay? The one kind of light is to turn the lights on so that you can see. Lighten up means shut all of the stuff down that you saw when you turn the lights on. Yeah. Okay? So take a look at what you're doing and lighten up. Those are the two kinds of enlightenment. Why don't you do that right now? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, I, I, I really get it, but uh, and I understand that it's the best possible way to live my life like in this life. So I do understand that it's the best course of action, but still it, it yeah. It seems still very dis disappointing. But, but <laughs> it's still you'll forget. All right, all right, let's go for the disappointment. First off, you'll forget that's the sati. That's the skill that you have to develop is sati. Okay. And if you can remember to do it over and over and over again, of drop the unwholesome, set it down, the unwholesome thoughts, pick up wholesome thoughts, gladden the mind, and be satisfied with this present moment over and over and over again. Eventually, you'll get the idea that you can do it, that you can overcome that uh, confirmation bias by practicing correctly enough. So yeah. You have a new confirmation bias that's based upon actual evidence right now you're just disappointed because your pie in the dry, uh, pie in the sky dream that you dreamt up you're hearing <laughs> from me is not going to be what you get yeah what you dream up is not what you get yeah okay so you become disappointed because i am shattering your dreams by pointing out reality yeah Certainly Get true. Over it. Lighten up. <laughs> yeah. You can set uh, your dreams down. You have that choice. To set that stuff aside, that's actually an unwholesome thought. I could see the disappointment uh, rush right through your face when you were trying to form the question. Yeah. And be in the present moment. Be here now look what's going on now and then make a change to that that everything any thought that you'd ever had could be improved yeah any thought of an enemy you can see as a friend any liar you can see as a comedian yeah um okay so that that brings me to my next question so um we could i could do this and i could live a happy life no you we, can't oh, i can't no no you're lying to me right now you're a comedian <laughs> no i mean uh, if, if i why i say that is because if that were true then you had i've already been doing it before you called me and then you wouldn't have needed to call me yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's true so you say i could da 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 no you have you can't because you don't the proof is that you haven't been yeah it's, it's some practice it's true Let's say I would do it, uh, hypothetically, and it right. would all work out. 
Uh, why maybe would that be better? Rot. Maybe it doesn't work it out. Maybe things just rot. That's what the word of Nietzsche is all about anyway. Yeah, that's, that's good. In China, just let it rot. Yeah, it, it could happen. But yeah, if I would, and it all works out in the best way we can think of, why would that be better? Um, for example, and I'm not planning on doing this by, by any means, but uh, let's say there was a drug that just has you happy all the time and has like no side effects. But you already took it. There are <laughs> drugs. There's a lot of drugs. There's psilocybin, there is uh, LSD, there's ecstasy. Wow, that's a big name. Uh, ayahuasca, the, the list goes on and on. There's all kinds of uh, uh, psychedelics. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say if there was a drug, no, there's plenty. They already exist. Yeah. If you would have to practice for 70 years just to experience what you experience now for one day and then die the day after, would it still been have worth it for you? Well, one happy day would be a whole lot better than living 70 miserable and then die. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Most people do. Yeah, okay. In fact, there was a bumper sticker in the 1980s. Life is shit, and then you die. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, let's say you could live for 70 years, and you wouldn't have to put in a lot of effort, and you just uh, make yourself as comfortable as possible, and then you die. Or you have you have to work really, really hard for 70 years and then get one good day in uh, enlightenment. Perhaps and, the and then reason that, that that happened was because he worked, whoever you're talking about, really, really hard. And the day before he died, he finally relaxed and stopped working so hard. Yeah. And then he enjoyed the day. So why don't you stop working so hard long mm -hmm. before then? Yeah, it should be good in the middle, uh, good in the beginning, good in the middle. In the middle and good in the end. Yeah. And for you, it's not good in the in the in the beginning. You don't well, know what the middle is, but you're all hopped up about an end that you don't have a clue about. Yeah. Oh, I was practicing and I was enjoying my practicing till I found out the reality as you describe it. Uh, well, the reality as I describe it is actually, I'm pointing out the reality that exists right in front of you. If you keep yeah. paying attention, you'll enjoy the hell out of it. So what we do <laughs> is we get caught into concepts, we get caught into rules, we caught into the way that we think things are supposed to be. We get caught into the past, we get caught into the future, we believe in reincarnation this, and we're going to be that in the future, and all of that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. Past and future, past and future, and all you need to do is to remember to come back to this present moment, drop all of that unwholesome thought, and enjoy the present moment. Be here now, as Ram Dass said. Yeah. And he was doing a whole lot of LSD when he was Richard Alpert. Yeah, I, I read about that. He locked himself up for three weeks, I believe, doing it every day. I'm not familiar with the details. It's been 50 yeah. years since I've read the books. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, answers my uh, my questions. Okay, it's been, so you it's haven't been, gotten around then to asking the right questions. What is the right question? Well, let's break and go back and look at the fact that you've been talking about the wrong questions that are based upon the past and some desirable future. And so the right questions would be, how do I practice right bloody now, which you haven't asked. Yeah.
Yeah. How do I practice now? Well, the... There is the teaching of the Buddha, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And he taught Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. I don't see that practice much anywhere in Buddhism. What I see practice in Buddhism is Dukkha, 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 take a look at the Dukkha, see that this Dukkha is related to that Dukkha, go off down that rat hole of Dukkha, and when you get there at the bottom of that one, you'll find even more Dukkha to look at. This is why so many of them go into a, something called a dark night of the soul, and boy, do they have a lot of Dukkha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So why don't we see enough dukkha so that we can get out of it immediately? Whatever little dukkha there is, let's just see it and throw it out. Let's not take and inv- inspect it and deal with it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and let's your technique can... It. Right now. Yeah. And your technique can be learned uh, learned at what's on Moke, right? I, I, I don't have a technique. You don't have a technique. I, I heard you say that um, the Buddha in the, in the, in the Buddha all, taught sorry. only one kind of meditation Anapanasati only one kind of meditation that's all the Buddha taught no and that, that's what is practiced at what's on mode right those who are practicing correctly no, yes, uh, exactly. So I heard you in, the, in your interview with uh, Daniel Ingram uh, on Guru Viking, I heard you saying like as a critique of the other techniques that they don't focus enough on the, on the hindrances and overcoming them and uh, generating joy. That's right. And that's what, yeah. And so a number of different suttas. I can name you at least 15 sutras that talk about the removal of the hindrances. And yet, the Mahasi method does not even teach that. Yes. So you... Christianity teaches that you can't. You need a Jesus. Yeah. Because you can't deal with your own crap. No. And you say that you throw out the um, uh, the bad, the unwholesome thoughts, and you generate the wholesome thoughts. Uh, you say that in the interview with Daniel Ingram, I believe uh, it's been a while since I watched it, so I'm not 100% sure. But I was wondering, like, are you then intentionally generating thoughts as in, yeah, uh, uh, what can I imagine uh, what the process looks like. Can you elaborate on that? Well, let me tell it to you this way. And that is, is that one of the hindrances is doubt. One of the five hindrances is doubt. We can look at the hindrances as kind of a pie. It's just one thing. Just like a pizza pie. That pizza pie can be cut up any way that you want to. The Buddha just happened to cut it up in five ways, covering some bases. But any time that you see it as a hindrance, those hindrances work together. Right? So, one of the hindrances is doubt. Another word for that is confusion. And often what that does is, because we don't like doubt and confusion, we want to have no doubt. We want to have no confusion. So now that's two hindrances right there. Yeah. One second. Let's finish this call and take the next one. Sure. I'll grab my charger. They work together. 
one thing that I just mentioned, let me go back and make sure that you understand it. That is, is that in this conversation today, you've asked a whole lot of questions. Very little to do with Dhamma. A whole lot to do with your confirmation biases. Okay? Which means that you've been in hindrances most of the time. True. In confusion. Asking questions. What would it be like if you set all your questions down and just relaxed? Yeah, the problem is my motivation comes from, yeah, from, well, it used to come from this understanding that I had, this confirmation bias, of this bias that I had. So right. now that that but bias people, is gone. People are motivated to do all kinds of things. Criminals are motivated to murder. Yes. Their confirmation biases. People are motivated to run for public office because of their confirmation biases. And so they will choose which party to run in because that party is full of people who have the same confirmation bias as they do. Yes. So, if we can figure out that and stop doing it and say, never mind, I don't have to have any of that, I could just relax and just enjoy the moment. Stop asking a bunch of questions. Stop being motivated. And just relax. That's the right effort, right noble effort. I heard you talking before about hard work, hard effort. That's not noble. That's ordinary effort based in motivation. So we're going yes. to have a completely different way of doing it is to drop your motivations and just relax. Stop being motivated of grasping and clinging yeah. and getting and sucking and working and all of that kind of stuff. And for a few minutes, just practice relaxing. Yeah, like, to be honest, like before I watched the interview that got me this doubt, I was also practicing and I was in a, in a really relaxed uh, state. Um, so you got yourself all worked up over some things that are just completely irrelevant. Well, yeah. And things you don't know anything about. That's true. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. But and still, they're happy and satisfied that you don't know anything about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's like I can I can have energy to do something even though I have doubts or or, or don't know much about it. But they're actually yeah, to me if they're, they're you, if you would stop asking questions, I can teach you some Dhamma. But the way that we're doing it now is like a cat chasing a mouse. Yeah. And you're the cat. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Yeah, you're right. This mouse here to teach you anything because you're just like that. Okay. I will stop chasing from now on. Okay. Well, then we can get someplace. Like I said, the teaching of the Buddha is dukkha, dukkha nirodha. Come out of it immediately. That's what the third noble truth is all about, is number one, recognize dukkha, what dukkha is. Recognize that you're creating it yourself. Then you use the eightfold noble path to stop that. Then you can just relax it being the third noble truth nothing much to it. In fact, Buddha was really big on nothing. There's not several sutras about it. Mahayana are even bigger on it. Which sutra is that? I want to read those. Pardon? Uh, can you tell me the number of the sutta so I can read it later? Which one? Uh, the one you were just talking about, about so the uh, one hundred and twenty-one and number one hundred and twenty-two in the Majjhima Nikaya. 
My job, um, okay. Right, the middle link. Prison down. Mm -hmm. Sutra number 121 and 122. Yes. Okay, that's, that's two of them. There are other places. So anyway, once you get relaxed, then everything is easy. Start to work with being satisfied and feel the state of satisfaction. That's what the Buddha happened. That in fact, the word that we're using here is sukha. Sukha is exactly opposite of the word dukkha. When you want things, when you're confused, when you're in pain, when you're restless, when you're worried, when you're upset of any kind, sad, angry, whatever, that's dukkha. Because we're dissatisfied. Want something to be different. If you can practice being satisfied, you practice that. There have been moments that you have been satisfied. You've been 100% completely dissatisfied for uh, after the, the third year of birth. You probably wouldn't have uh, lived until adulthood. So there are times that you are satisfied, but you haven't been paying much attention to it. Now it's time to start paying attention. Start paying attention is one's right noble effort. Just to look at what you're doing and make a change. So that's the Eightfold Noble Path. There are five elements of it that need to be investigated early in one's uh, practice. The first one is Sati. Oh, I know that. Okay, so now, no, no, yeah. your microphone. All you have to do is just burp or swat your screen or do something to make Skype. In fact, you need to change your Skype setting to have. Uh, I'll just mute myself when I'm not talking. Okay. That'll be right. That's good. Okay, so. The second noble truth and the first noble truth work very closely together because people are taught in our society that is someone else's fault of why I feel bad. But the second noble truth points out that, oh no, all dukkha comes from wanting things, either to go or to come, and the stupidity that we have of why we chose to feel that way. So, the number one point about the second noble truth, the important thing is uh, ignorance or stupidity or confirmation bias or delusion. Confirmation bias in its worst form is called delusion, denial. Right? And so that's the ignorance and the denial of our wanting and grasping and clinging and not seeing what's going on is going to keep dukkha repeating and coming back and coming back and coming back. So we need to start following the path, the Eightfold Noble Path, that will give us some relief immediately. Right here, right now, just drop whatever it is that's painful and come back into a state of joy, your choice. When you do that over and over and over again, you'll begin to believe that you can do it, that you don't need any other thing, that you know that you can put your mind into a good state. That's what we need to practice, okay? Now, this is a very, very shorthand version because we spent so much of our time together with you asking this question and that question. And now that you're beginning to listen, you're beginning to figure out that there is this Eightfold Noble Path that we'll go into in detail. And the method of practice of the Eightfold Noble Path, the Buddha gave Anapanasati. He didn't give 40 meditations. He gave one. There was literature research done years ago in Tainan to prove that that was correct. Only one kind of meditation was taught by the Buddha. And that is Anapanasati. 
which gets the mind into that state of sukha. You have to practice that over and over again to wake up, to remember, to look at what you're doing, and to make an improvement. Over and over and over again. This only takes a couple of seconds to do. It needs to be practiced over and over and over again. So every time a question comes up, you say, oh, I don't need to know that now. Wow, isn't it great? I don't even have to go figure it out. I could just sit here and relax instead. Stop asking many questions to yourself, because while you're asking questions, that's a state of hindrance. So see that you're asking a whole lot of questions and stop and say, okay, I can be all right right now without the answer to that question. I don't have to sit here and work myself up over something that I don't know and will not figure it out while I'm working myself up. And just accept that you don't know and you don't need to know. That in fact, the need to know is a hindrance. That's the hindrance, is needing something, needing to know. You don't need to know in order to be happy. So just sit down and be happy. That's the actual practice of the Buddha. So let's finish this. If you've gotten this much out of it, uh, perhaps you'll call again and we can go further. Yeah, great. Uh, very much. I'm full for the tips also you gave at the end. And uh, my question is, where can I learn this Anapanasati? Well, you can call me and we'll talk about it. Okay, cool. And um, is this also uh, teach at Watson Mok? Because I looked on their website and I think I saw Anapanasati there as well. Yes. Hey, great. Vikki Buddha Dasa has four books on Anapanasati, as you know. I actually ordered one uh, today, so uh, yeah. But yeah, I would be definitely interested in learning more from you. So uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity that I can uh, call you again. Okay, and, well, when uh, are you going to call back? Uh, tomorrow, I think, if that's okay. All right. You, If you want, you can uh, join the uh, the Saturday morning call, which is Friday evening. Uh, but for you being in Chiang Mai, that would be Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Oh, so tomorrow at 9 a.m.? Yeah, that would be perfect. And that's from the UK Sangha then? Yeah, it's the, no, it's the U.S. Sangha, but since you're in... Oh, uh, U.S. There yeah. Is your okay, great, yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow then. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs>